Thank you once again for joining us at People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, pgttcm.com. We're available on all major social media platforms. Just search for PGTTCM. And also, we are brought to you by founditemclothing.com, bunnyslippers.com. Get cool t-shirts from your favorite movies and keep your feet warm with novelty slippers. Found Item Clothing, bunnyslippers.com. They've got these really, really, really cool slippers that you can plug into your USB port and they will heat up your slippers and then you put your slippers on. They have other ones that you can put into microwaves and they've got really cool Japanese sock slippers. Oh, they're so cool. The dog ones and the owl ones. Check out the owl ones. They are so awesome. Owls are awesome. How are you guys doing? I'm having a wonderful week. I just got a new job. So I might be able to upgrade the podcast and actually have money to buy tickets to go to the HP Lovecraft Film Festival in my hometown, the city I live, Portland, Oregon. Okay, technically I live in Vancouver, which is like the New Jersey to Oregon's New York. So I got a job, gonna help update this website, keep money flowing into it. But if you want to help out, you can check out our Amazon link on either pgttcm.com or pgttcm.podbean.com. There's an Amazon link. You don't have to buy what's on the page itself. You can just search for whatever once you're on that link. Get something. You know you're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway. And I get a small percentage for saying, go to Amazon, dudes. And also, I've got a donation button. You click on it, and I get money directly from PayPal. It goes from your bank account to my bank account. PayPal gets like a very small percentage, and everyone is rad. So if you want to help keep this podcast going, help it upgrade, help it grow, so that I can have the time and space that I need to perform interviews or have the equipment that I can do interviews with. All right, enough of me talking, begging you for money, telling you about the people that you should shop from. Let's get on with the show. This episode is going to be about Ambrose Bierce. It's going to be about Haster, 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 and it's going to be about the assassination of Ambrose Bierce, a wonderful book written by the talented and super smart, good-looking Don Swaim. Everybody, Don Swaim, round of applause. He's not in the studio today. Only person I have in the studio today is, oh, I don't have any people in the studio today, but there is a dog named Buddy in the next room who might bark. So if you hear a barking, that's that's my nephew's dog, Buddy, who I'm watching right now. All right, on with the show. The unspeakable one, him who is not to be named Astur, Zatua, Azur, or Kaiwan, is an entity of the Cthulhu mythos. Hasta first appeared in Ambrose Bierce's short story, Haita the Shepherd, from 1893. We talked about it the other day. And a benign god of shepherds. Haster is briefly mentioned in H.P. Lovecraft's The Whisperer in Darkness. Previously, Robert W. Chambers, who we shall speak of in the future, had used the name in his own stories to represent both a person and a place associated with the names of several stars, including Aldebaran. In Bierce's Haita the Shepherd, which appeared in the collection Can Such Things Be?, Haster is more benevolent than he would later appear 
in August Derleth's Mythos Stories. Yet another one that we have Derleth to thank. Thank you, August Derleth. Another story in the same collection, an inhabitant of Carcosa, refers to the place Carcosa and a person, Hali, names that later authors were to associate with Haster. In Chambers, The King in Yellow, published in 1895, Chambers wrote The King in Yellow, a collection of short stories, some of which are horror stories. Haster is the name of a potentially supernatural character in De Demoiselles du Bois. My French is rotten. A place in which the repairer of reputations, and mentioned without explanation in The Yellow Sign. The latter two stories mentioned Carcosa, Hali, Aldebaran, the Hades, along with The Yellow Sign, and a play called The King in Yellow, which again we shall speak about in the future. H.B. Lovecraft read Chambers' book in early 1927, and was so enchanted by it that he added elements of it to his own creations. They are two places in Lovecraft's own writings in which Haster is mentioned. I found myself faced by names and terms that I had heard elsewhere in the most hideous of connections. Yogoth, Great Cthulhu, Satagwa, Yog-Satoth, Ralyeh, Naralethotep, Azathoth, Haster, Yain, Lang, the Lake of Hali, Beth Morora, the Yellow Sign, Lemur Katos, Bran, the Magnum in Memoriam, and was drawn back through the nameless eons in inconceivable dimensions to worlds of elder and outer entity at which the crazed author of the Necronomicon had only guessed in the vaguest way. There are whole secret cult of evil men, a man of your mythical irradiation, would understand me when I link them with Haster and the Yellow Sign, devoted to the purpose of tracking them down and injuring them on behalf of the monstrous powers of other dimensions. H.P. Lovecraft, The Whisper in Darkness. It is unclear from the quote if Lovecraft's Haster is a person, a place, an object, such as the yellow sign, or a deity. This ambiguity is recurrent in Lovecraft's descriptions of the mythic entities, yet still, someone still managed to catalog them all and turn it into a role-playing game. Way to go, Sandy Peterson! Way to herd cats! Tremendous! In supernatural horror and literature, written between 26 and 1927, revised in 33, published in... The Recluse in 27, when talking about the yellow sign by Chambers, Lovecraft wrote, After stumbling queerly upon the hellish and forbidden book of horrors, the two learn, amongst other hideous things which no sane mortal should know, that this talisman is indeed the nameless yellow sign handed down from the accursed cult of Haster, from primordial Carcosa, whereof the volume treats. In Chambers, the yellow sign, the only mentioning of Haster is... We spoke of Haster and of Casilda. So judging from these two quotes, it is quite possible that H.P. Lovecraft not only recognized Haster as one of the mythos gods, but even made so recalling Chambers' book. Dareleth developed Haster into a great old one, spawn of Yogg-Sothoth, half 
half-brother of Cthulhu, and possibly the magnum inumenandium. In, in, in this incarnation, Haster has several avatars. The Feaster from Afar, a black shriveled flying monstrosity with tentacles tipped with razor-sharp talons that can pierce a victim's skull and siphon out its brain. The King in Yellow, Anders Fager, collected Swedish cults, features a Stockholm-based cotre known as the Carcosa Foundation that worships Haster. Haster is amorphous, but he is said to appear as a vast, vaguely octopoid thing similar to his half-niece, Cathila. He's appeared in all kinds of stories and cartoons and comics and all kinds of bits and pieces, television shows like True Detective, even Yu-Gi-Oh! Wizards of the Coast has made sure that he's an evil god, popped up in such comic strips as The Unspeakable Vault of Doom, where he appears as a yellow octopoid thing known as The Unspeakable. Apparently also appears as some feminine-looking male with wind-based attacks and some sort of, I don't know, Naruko crawling with love. I guess that, that uh, I, I don't know if it's manga or anime. I don't know. It, it, it. It weirds me out. Oh, uh, Good Omens appeared as a fallen angel of some sort by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. And also uh, as briefly mentioned in Professor Peabody's last lecture from Night Gallery. That's what we have to speak of with Haster as of currently. But, oh, Black Tapes, there's a band called Haster Rising, and that's that for Haster. Here's a little something I got from Hippocampus Press out of New York. Mystery. A vanished author, Ambrose Bierce, solved a new novel. In late 19th century, Ambrose Bierce pontificated on all things Californian in his colorful columns for Hearst's San Francisco Examiner, showing no quarter in attacking the Union Pacific Railroad, denouncing politicians and clergy with equal vehemence, and establishing himself as the Golden State's literary arbiter. Then, in 1913, vanished without a trace after riding into Mexico to join Pancho Villa's revolutionary forces. The disappearance is the basic premise of Don Swaim's galvanizing novel, The Assassination of Ambrose Bierce, a love story. Hippocampus Press, New York, 2016. The novel traces Bierce's Indiana boyhood to his bravery as a soldier in the Civil War, to his literary days in San Francisco, where he associated with Jack London, Ida Coolberth, George Sterling, Gertrude Atherton, Joaquin Miller, Mark Twain, and Bert Hart. The book takes a strange turn as Bierce and the bandit Pancho Villa travel to Saratoga Springs, New York, where Bierce falls in love with a young widow, justifying the book's provocative subtitle. Today, Bierce is still being read by a legion of fans who admire his weird supernatural and fantasy tales, which authors such as H.P. Lovecraft and Robert W. Chambers. Bierce's Civil War stories are a masterpiece of chilling realism, and his cynical humor is devastating. America's leading scholar of the weird tale, S.T. Joshi, writes in his introduction to the book, The Assassination of Ambrose Bierce, is a work as complex as Bierce himself. It is a tale of a human life, a tale of a man who belonged to the damned human race, however much as he may have wished that he didn't. 
Readers of this book may come away moved, amused, or terrified, but chiefly they will come away with a profound understanding of what it means to be human. About the author. About the author, Don Swain's long-running feature on books and author's book beat was syndicated by the CBS radio station News Service. He is the author of the H.L. Merkin murder case, Bright Sun Extinguished, Ode to Norman Mailer, and Steampunk Electroblaster Romance. The Assassination of Ambrose Bierce, a love story by Don Swaim, introduced by S.T. Joshi. Cover art by Jared Bogus. Published by Hippocampus Press, New York. That is what was given to me by the folks at Hippocampus Press for when I read the book. It... I, I asked them. It looked it looked like a really good book, so I I contacted Don Swaim, and he was ecstatic that someone wanted to review his book. Well, I wanted to review his book. Many people have re- reviewed his book and loved it. It is a tremendous, tremendous book. I highly recommend it. And yes, I know, I highly recommend everything, but this book has been an utter delight to read. The words that Don Swaim wrote, it is as if someone spent a very, very, very long amount of time studying, analyzing, and figuring out how to reproduce what Ambrose Bierce wrote and how he communicated with people. If one looks through the back of the book, they will see references. They'll see a big a bibliography. In the back, you'll find an afterword that kind of gives you an account of historical events that happened. And also, there is a part that is acknowledgments that will go in and uh, recognize the distinguished uh, Ambrose Spears scholars who uh, who made this possible and just all the various bits and pieces of Ambrose Spears that uh, Swaim used to to really capture his voice and it is a tremendous tremendous story that does cover a lot of civil war bits his childhood and just kind of him coming up into the world it's not done in a linear order it's imagine if a fully finished movie of of ambrose bierce's life and then gave it to quentin tarantino or some other provocative type of uh, cinematographer someone like that give 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 you get the idea. There's a linear story of Ambrose Bierce and what he's doing in Mexico and post-Mexico. And then there's also kind of fleshing out who he is as a person so you have a better understanding. Someone who knows nothing about Ambrose Bierce could pick this up, read it, be fascinated, and probably want to read as much Ambrose Bierce. But then again, it is bitter Bierce, and he does come off as kind of a dick most of the time in the book. I mean, even when he's being charming, he is kind of a dick. So, may want to make people be like, eh, I don't necessarily want to, but no, I, I highly recommend it. If, if you like this book, you're going to want to read Ambrose Bierce, and vice versa. If you like reading Ambrose Bierce, you're going to want to read this book. Very, very, very well crafted. Very, very, very well written. And for me, as I read it, I kept being like, oh, is this the part that he dies? He dies this early in the book? What is everything else? And then keep reading. Oh, is this the part that he dies? Oh, he can't be dying now because this is Civil War stuff. So we know he's alive here. Oh, we can't be dying now. And it's like, but as we go through uh, the bits and pieces of him being with Pancho Villa and his army, you, you just keep thinking he's going to die. Spoiler alert, he dies. Spoiler alert, everyone dies. <laughs> And the bits with Pancho Villa remind me of the numerous times that I've been through 
various places in northern Mexico and southern Arizona, I get kind of a feeling of like, I know where they're talking about, not actually the actual place, but like geographically, like what the biome is in that area of like uh, high mountain desert, chaparral, that kind of stuff. Fun, interesting, cool book, very descriptive. I can't stop recommending it to people. I, even though I finished reading it, I, I, I look through it and I flip through it because there's just funny parts. You can flip through it and you'll just like, not funny, haha, but Beersian humor. I don't, is, is that the term, Beersian? Anyway, I'm going to say Beersian humor runs throughout. Just a very, very kind of dark, dry humor that I find tremendous. Ambrose Bierce is one of my favorite weird fiction authors of all time. I think comparing Lovecraft to Bierce is... Um, not it's not fair because Bierce had a professional body of work had a very large professional body of work and Lovecraft really wasn't successful as a writer and I mean even to this day I, I, I'm, I'm probably pretty sure well maybe not nowadays maybe not nowadays but I'm gonna say like just just probably the devil's bible has probably sold more than at the mountain of madness over the last 50 years who's who's to say that's that's just speculation on my part and maybe the fact that i really like beers if you disagree with me write me at pgttcm slash contact write me tell me that i'm wrong um tell me tell me that uh, your favorite pulps aren't racist. Tell me that, you know, whatever, whatever, that I said this, what I meant to say that, it's whatever. I don't care. I just want people to write the show. Maybe I'm in a bit of a mood right now. Maybe I'll edit some of this out. Assassination of Ambrose Bierce, awesome book. Ambrose Bierce, awesome writer. Don Swaim, awesome writer. Is he as good as Bierce? No. Don Swaim's a great writer. Uh, Don Swaim knows his books. Don Swaim, I haven't checked out his other books, but... I think I'm definitely going to check out anything he has coming out in the future, and if I get a chance, I might check out some of his older books. Maybe not the steampunk one, because I personally kind of think steampunk's a little played out. But that's just me. The Assassination of Ambrose Bierce, a love story by Don Swain. Check it out, check it out, check it out. Hey everyone, thank you for listening. We are at the halfway point. I just want to say, I'm not going to throw ads at you now. I'm just going to say thank you for listening. You can listen to PGTTCM on Stitcher now. You can listen to it on iTunes. You can go to Podbean and download the app. There's a lot of different ways for you to listen to it. And thank you for listening. You've helped us grow. Us, I mean me. This is a solo project. I do all the stuff for it. And we are also now a member of the Dark Myths Collective. Check out what else they got going on. They have got some really cool, really, really cool podcasts. Blurry Photos is there. Expanded Perspectives is brand new. My personal favorite currently is Eastern Borders. It is a a behind-the-scenes look at life on the other side of the Iron Curtain. And I highly recommend it. You know, like I highly recommend everything. But this, I highly recommend. It is good to listen to. I like to listen to it while I barbecue. It's... It's a little bit more of, it's, it's more serious than what I'm used to listening to. What I used to listen to when I barbecued is How Did This Get Made and Blurry Photos. But now, now I listen to Eastern Borders. So check it out. Eastern Borders. Here's a little bit from the 
host himself. Greetings, comrades. Have you ever wondered what was it like to live in the worker's paradise? What was it like to stand in line for three hours to buy 200 grams of sausages while your government spent enormous resources to monitor its citizens and even more resources to build nukes that would be aimed at the West? Ever wondered how things happened on the other side of the Iron Curtain? Well, you're in luck, as I'm Kristaps Andresons of the Eastern Border Podcast, where we explain just that, the history of and the life in the Soviet Union, from the perspective of the common man. Using my journalism skills, I combined the historical sources with the tales of the people and add a dash of the ever-present gallows humor to give you all of this and more. Look for the Eastern Border Podcast on theeasternborder.lv, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. But for now... Enjoy this wonderful Dark Myths podcast. Ambrose Gwinnett Bierce was born June 24th, 1842, and died sometime, we think, in 1914. He was an American editorialist, journalist, short story writer, fabulist, and satirist. He wrote the short story An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, compiled a satirical lexicon, The Devil's Dictionary, his vehemence as a critic, his motto, Nothing Matters, and the sardonic view of human nature that informed his work all earned him the nickname Bitter Bierce. Despite his reputation as a Syrian critic, Bierce was known to encourage younger writers, including poets George Sterling and Herman George Schaefer, and the fiction writer W.C. Morrow. Bierce employed a distinctive style of writing, especially in his stories. His style often embraces an abrupt beginning, dark imagery, vague references to time, limited descriptions, impossible events, and the theme of war. In 1913, Bierce traveled to Mexico to gain first-hand experience of the Mexican Revolution. He was rumored to be traveling with rebel troops and was not seen again. If you are interested in a possible explanation of what happened, I highly recommend you check out Don Swaim's book, The Assassination of Ambrose Bierce. Bierce was born in a log cabin at Horse Cave Creek in Meigs County, Ohio on June 24th, 1842. To Marcus Aurelius Bierce, born 1799, died 1876, and Laura Shearwood Bierce, his mother was a descendant of William Bradford, who, if you don't know who William Bradford was, William Bradford was an English separatist leader who grew up in Yorkshire and later moved to Leyden, Holland, and helped found the Plymouth Colony. Yep, anyway, signed the Plymouth contract, and yeah, one of the people who landed on Plymouth Rock. He was the 10th of 13 children whose father had all given names beginning with the letter A because he was a A-hole. Bierce's siblings were Abigail, Amelia, Anne, Addison, Aurelius, Augustus, Amadea, Andrew, Albert, and Ambrose. His parents were poor but literary who instilled a deep love of books, learning, and writing. Bierce grew up in... Indiana, and attended high school in Warsaw. He left home at 15 to become a printer's devil in a small Ohio newspaper. A uh, printer's devil is an apprentice in a printing establishment who performs a number of menial tasks such as, you know, mixing tubs of dye, fetching the letters for type, 
number of famous people served as printer devils in their youth, such as Walt Whitman, Thomas Jefferson, Mark Twain, Benjamin Franklin, even Lyndon Johnson. And he wasn't busy waving around his dick. With the onset of the American Civil War, uh, Beers enlisted in the Union Army as uh, infantrymen, part of Indiana's 9th. He participated in operations in Western Virginia, was present at the first battle at Philippi, and received newspaper attention for his daring rescue under fire of a gravely wounded comrade at the Battle of Rich Mountain. In 1862, in February, he was commissioned as first lieutenant and served on the staff of General William Babcock Hazen as a topographical engineer, making maps of likely battlefields. Beers fought at the Battle of Silo in 1862, a terrifying experience that became a source of several later short stories and the memoir, What I Saw at Silo. In June of 1864, he sustained a serious head wound at the Battle of uh, Nisaw Mountain and spent the rest of summer on furlough, returning to active duty in September. He was discharged from the Army in 1865, in the beginning of the year. His military career resumed, however, when in mid-1866, he rejoined General Hazen as part of the latter's expedition to inspect military outposts across the Great Plains. This expedition proceeded by horseback and wagon from Omaha, Nebraska, arriving toward year's end in San Francisco, California. Beers married Molly Day on December 25th, 1871. They had three children, sons Day and Leigh and daughter Helen. Both Beers' sons died before he did. Uh, Day committed suicide after a romantic rejection and Leigh died of pneumonia related to alcoholism. Beers separated from his wife in 1888 after discovering compromising letters of her from an admirer. They divorced in 1904. Molly Day Beers died the following year. Beers was an avowed agnostic. He suffered from lifelong asthma, as well as complications from his war wounds. After settling in San Francisco, Beers was awarded the rank of Brevet Major before, reassigning, uh, before resigning from the Army. He remained in San Francisco for many years, eventually becoming famous as a, uh, as a contributor or editor for a number of local newspapers and periodicals, including the San Francisco Newsletter, the Overland Monthly, the Argonaut, the Wasp, the Californian. A selection of his time reporting from the San Francisco Newsletter was included in the Library of America and anthology, True Crime. Beers lived and wrote in England from 1872 to 1875, contributing to Fun Magazine. His first book, The Fiend's Delight, a compilation of his articles, was published in London in 1873 by John Camden Houghton under the pseudonym Dodd Grill. Returning to the United States, he took up residence in San Francisco. From 1879 to 1880, he traveled the Rockerville and Deadwood in Dakota Territory to try his hand at local manager for a New York mining company. When the company failed, he returned to San Francisco and resumed his career in journalism. From January 1st, 1881 to September 11th, 1885, he was the editor of The Wasp, in which he began a column titled Prattle. He also became one of the first regular columnists and editorialists on William Randolph Hearst's newspaper, the San Francisco Examiner, 
eventually becoming one of the most prominent and influential writers and journalists of the West Coast. He remained associated with Hearst newspapers until 1909. Because of his penchant for biting social criticism and satire, Bierce's long newspaper career was often steeped in controversy. On several occasions, his columns stirred up a storm of hostile reactions, which created difficulties for Hearst. One of the most notable of these incidents occurred following the assassination of President McKinley, where Hearst's opponent turned a poem Bierce had written about the assassination of Governor William Goebbels of Kentucky in 1990 into a cause celebrity. Bierce spent the poem to express a national mood of dismay and fear, but after McKinley was shot in 1901, it seemed to foreshadow the crime. The bullet that pursed Goebbels' breast cannot be found in all the West. Good reason it is speeding here to stretch McKinley on his beer. Hearst was thereby accused by rival newspapers and, and then Secretary of State Elia Root of having called for McKinley's assassination, despite a national uproar that ended his ambitions of the presidency and even his membership in the Bohemian Club, Hearst kept employing Bierce. During his lifetime, Bierce was better known as a journalist than a fiction writer. His most popular stories were written in rapid succession between 1888 and 1891 in what was characterized as a tremendous burst of uh, consummate art. Bierce's work often highlighted the inscrutability of the universe and the absurdity of death. Bierce wrote realistically of the terrible things that he had seen in war in such stories as the occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, A Horseman in the Sky, One of the Missing, and Chickamauga. His grimly realistic cycles of 25 war stories have been called the greatest anti-war document in American literature. According to Milton Stabowski, Pierce helped pioneer the psychological horror story. In addition to his ghost and war stories, he also published several volumes of poetry. His fantastic fables anticipated the ironic style of the grotesquerie that had become more common genre in the 20th century. One of Bierce's most famous works is the much-quoted Devil's Dictionary, originally an occasional newspaper item, first published in book form in 1906. The Cynic's Word Book, it consists of satirical definitions of English words which lampoon Kant and political double-talk. Bierce's 12-volume collected works were published in 1909, the seventh volume of which consists solely of the Devil's Dictionary, the title Bierce himself preferred over to the Cynic's Word Book. Bierce has been criticized by his contemporaries and later scholars for deliberately pursuing improbability and for his penchant towards the trick endings. In later stories, apparently, under the influence of Guy de Maupassant, a.k.a. Henry René Albert Guy de Maupassant, a French writer, Bierce dedicated himself to shocking the audience, as if his purpose was to attack the reader's smug intellectual security. Bierce's bias towards naturalism had also been noted. The biting, dryity quality of his satire, unbalanced by any compassion for his targets, was often taken as petty meanness, showing contempt for humanity and the intolerant to the point of uh, merciless cruelty. Stephen Crane was of the minority of Bierce's contemporaries that valued Bierce's experimental short story. In his essay, Supernatural Horror and Literature, Lovecraft characterizes Bierce's fictional work as grim and savage. Lovecraft goes on to say that nearly all of Bierce's stories are of the horror genre, and some shine as great examples of weird fiction. 1913, in October, the 71-year-old Bierce departed from Washington, D.C. for a tour of old Civil War battles 
oil fields. In December, he had passed through Louisiana and Texas, crossing by way of El Paso into Mexico, which happened to have a pretty big revolution going on, and somewhere in Juarez he joined Pancho Villa's army as an observer and witnessed the Battle of Tierra Blanca. Uh, Beers is known to have at least made it to the city of Chihuahua, and his last known communication was to a close friend, Blanche Partington, dated December 26, 1913. After closing in his letter, he wrote, As to me, I leave here tomorrow for an unknown destination. His disappearance becoming one of the most famous in American literary history. Oral tradition in Sierra Modia, a priest by the name of James Lintiak states that Bierce was executed by firing squad in the town cemetery. However, others find this story incredible, and there's all kinds of stories and theories about what happened to Bierce. They're all a mystery. We still don't know. There's no empirical evidence of what happened to Bierce. There's just bits of speculation, some oral history. Some people think suicide. Some people think a firing squad. It's really hard to say. A 71-year-old asthmatic who couldn't really ride a horse at that time of his life. There's a lot of things that people wonder. Anyway, that's really not why we're here. We're here to talk about how at least three stories, uh, at least three films have been made of an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. A silent film version was made in 1929. A French version was made in 1962. And the one that I saw in school as a child was in 1964 and was made for the Twilight Zone television show. There is an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents that has it, but it's not as good. And there was a version released in 2005. And, you know, it popped up on CBS radio programs like Escape and Suspense. The Damned Thing, which we heard last week, was once adapted into an episode of Masters of Horror and was directed by one of my favorite directors of all time, Tobe Hooper. And you can find quite a bit of either fictionalized versions of Bierce in a number of novels out there, in short stories, and in film. Uh, Bierce, Bierce pops up. Bierce pops up. He is, you know, he's he's not quite the American legend that Ernest Hemingway or Mark Twain is, but he should be. He wrote weird stories that kind of alienated people. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, he doesn't, unfortunately, get to be up as high as Steinbeck. You, you only maybe hear like one or two of his short stories in junior high or high school. And if you don't hear Bierce until okay, this this is uh, this is to the younger folk. If you don't hear Bierce until high school, you really need to question your English teachers and be like, how come we aren't learning about Ambrose Bierce in our American literature class? How come we're not learning about Ambrose Bierce in our English literature class? You know, just 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 be like, hey, Bierce, 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 Bierce. You can push for it. You can push for it. Use it for your U.S. history, Civil War stuff. You can go through his stories. There's amazing stuff. You know, create a diorama based off of something that Ambrose Bierce wrote that involved the Civil War. Awesome stuff like that. Ambrose Bierce, if you you are a student is a gold mine of stuff to pick through and find and use. And if you are creating a role-playing game, or if you're writing a module for a role-playing game, a scenario, whatever you want to call it, Ambrose Bierce is awesome to pick through, especially stuff like The Damned Thing. Currents at Owl Creek Bridge might be a little bit tougher to do, and you might have players that never come back, 
But yeah, you, you can do cool stuff with his stories for creating ideas for role playing games or if you're writing a short story. Ambrose Spears. Awesome dude. Check out his books. Check out his short stories. A lot of his short stories are available on online. You can you can just look them up for free. But if you don't want to look them up for free, you can check out last week's episode and listen to at least three of his short stories. Or you can go to audibletrial.com slash pgttcm. Listen to some Ambrose Spears. They've got some collections there. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. They've got over 180,000 books to choose from. So if you've got a little bit of time left this summer, you got to get that road trip in or you, you know, want to catch up on your summer reading but oh yeah you forgot to read and you just want to listen to it while you're doing stuff around the house want to learn some new words want to i don't know educate yourself audibletrial.com slash pgttcm you look for the books you figure it out you get a free book free audiobook and yeah it's it's like netflix of books but you get to keep what you get founditemclothing.com You should check out founditemclothing.com. They've got all your favorite t-shirts from all your favorite movies. You like cult film? You like Texas Chainsaw Massacre as much as I do? Probably not, but you can get a cool Texas Chainsaw Massacre shirt from them for like, I think under 22, 24 bucks. They've got Repo Man. They've got, they got Real Genius. They've got, they live. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. Flash Gordon. Do you like Flash Gordon? They've got all kinds of stuff. And you can check them out at founditemclothing.com. Get a shirt. Tell them I sent you. I don't know if there's a discount for that yet, but tell them I sent you. You guys have all been super great. You're all super awesome. Remember, write the show at pgttcm.com slash contact. If you want to write into the show, if you want to complain, you didn't like what I said, You think I'm being too mean to people? You think I didn't give enough praise to your your favorite great old one? You want me to talk about a great old one that I haven't talked about yet? A book that I haven't talked about yet? An eldritch tome that I haven't talked about yet? You want me to do that stuff? I'll do that stuff. But something, I I, I did this, this one out of order a little bit because I wanted to get this book out there. I wanted people to know about it. So I talked a bunch about Ambrose Beers. It's not like some kind of Beersian holiday coming up or anything. It's not like there's any Haster in the timeline coming up anytime soon. I just wanted to do it. We'll be getting back to the regular timeline of authors and where things occurred within the mythos from the creation of our universe to the cooling of our sun next week. We're going to start with a cool story, H.P. Lovecraft's The Strange House and the High Mist. We'll probably find some other things to pad out that episode so it's not just me reading a story. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll talk about a book involving some uh, great old ones. I need a catchphrase to end the show with. If anyone wants to write one, I would be happy. Just let me know, and you can get that to me at pgttcm.com slash contact. All right. Thank you so much for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I have been your host, D.B. Spitzer. Guess what? I'm not only the host. I also edit, produce, and do everything else for this podcast. I don't write all the music. Some of that is written by Kevin McLeod and is used by a Creative Commons license, share and share alike. That's the same thing with this podcast. If you like it, you can cut it up and edit it any way you want, as long as you don't charge money and you credit me and everyone who's involved, everything will be just fine. If you want to help support the show so I can afford books and not have to beg Don Swaim on social media, you can go to pgttcm.com or pgttcm.podbean.com 
and hit the donate button. That goes through PayPal and PayPal takes care of it and goes from your bank account to my bank account. If that's not your style and you would rather get something for your money, you can click the store option on pgttcm.com and that'll send you directly to my really cool site on Society6 and you can buy a pgttcm.com t-shirt. Have a good one. Peace. Oh yeah, now's the part that I let it trail on for about 30 seconds. The music will go, the music will go, the music will go, the music will fade. And then I add something from editing. Or I say something. Yeah, okay. Spoiler alert, everyone dies. <laughs>